Let's get started. We're in the Word here, and we're going to talk about redemption. Redemption. Now, let me say this. When you talk about redemption, I've got to tell you a story that kind of just helps us understand what that... When you say redemption, that is a huge word, by the way. I mean, if you've ever studied any type of theology, it is the... It's a huge word. But I've heard Pastor John tell this story, and it just really kind of helps us understand the concept of redemption. If I was asked you to stand up and try to define it, do you think you could do it? Anybody want to take a shot at it? They tell me we're not supposed to just preach. I'm supposed to get you guys involved or whatever that is. All right, here it is. Here's a story. Little boy, he's working on this sailboat. Finally gets the sailboat finished. He takes it down to the lake. He attaches a string to the sailboat. It's a beautiful day. The wind is blowing. He takes the boat and he puts it out on the water. And the sail immediately fills up with wind and that boat just skims right across the water. And he's so excited. He's running along this, the shore and he's so excited. He, he made this with his own hands and there it is floating on this lake. And then all of a sudden, a, just a big wind comes through and takes that boat down and it snaps the string and the boat just starts gliding across the water it takes the wind and it keeps going going until it's gone and the little boy loses his boat the first day out and he's devastated a couple weeks later he's walking down the road at his home down the street and he comes up to a pawn shop, P-A-W-N. We have pawn sh- shops, by the way, on the north side. If you know, want to know what one is, just walk down East Ohio Street. There's a couple of them. But there in the pawn shop, he looks in the window, and there's the sailboat. And it looks just exactly like the one that he made. So he goes in the store, and he picks it up out of the window, and he turns it over because he put his initials on the boat. And sure enough, when he turns it over, there's his initials. He's so excited about the fact that he has found the, bo- the boat that he lost, but it wasn't his yet. So he walks over to the person who owns the pawn shop, and he says, hey, this is mine. I made this with my own hands. By the way, look at those initials. Those are mine. And the man says, well, you can have the boat if you're willing to purchase it. The little boy runs back to his house, and he gathers up all his money. He runs back, and he gives the money to the person behind the, the counter, and he buys back his boat. And as he's walking out, they could hear him say this. As he's looking at his sailboat, he's saying, You are mine twice. First, I made you, and then I bought you. First, I made you, but then I bought you back. See, redemption, when you understand the word, and let me just read it, The word redemption carries this idea of buying back something, something lost or sold. Something lost or sold. We all know in the scriptures that Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. And when he came to save that which was lost, we understand that God created us. He made us. But then how did we get lost? How did we get sold out? That that God had to buy us back. He had to redeem us. Talk to you about that in a minute, but let's talk about creation for a moment. I love those words. It says that he, he made us, and then he bought us back. That's what the little boy said about the sailboat. This past Sunday, we were talking about the Lord's Prayer, 
And in the service, we were talking about our, Lord, our, our Father who art in heaven. Talking about Jesus and what he was teaching the disciples in that day. And he said, our Father. And when you think about that term, I asked this question. I said, when he says, our Father, is he saying that God is everyone's Father? When Jesus was teaching our Father, was he saying that everyone is our Father? Now, it's true that God created everybody and that he loves everybody and he wants everybody to be in his family. However, you're not in his family until you choose to be. Look what it says in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, do we, not not, do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us? So yes, God is the Father of us all in the sense that he created us. But Jesus says this. Jesus says, and makes it very clear, that we are not all part of God's family. This is what he says to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says this, You are of your father, the devil. You are of your father, the devil. Later on, the Apostle Paul makes a distinction. He says, there's the children of light and the children of darkness. So immediately you find within the scriptures that there is not one big family, if you will, under the universal fatherhood of God. The liberals teach that, but that's not what the word of God teaches. The ones who have the privilege of calling our father to the heavenly father are those who belong to his son. In other words, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have the right and the privilege of calling the Heavenly Father their Father. Look look what it says in John chapter 1, verse 12. It says this, But as many as received him, who's him? Jesus Christ. To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. In other words, yes, we are all created by God. But we're not all children of God. We become the children of God once we give our lives to Jesus Christ. Once we receive him as our Savior and our Lord. In that moment, we become the children of God. Why? Because Christ died on the cross. And when he died on that cross, he died for our sin. And then it's through Christ that reunites us back to God the Father. And we become part of the family of God. Only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By putting faith in him. So when I think about this boat for a moment, go back to that little illustration. You think about the fact that God made us. Yes, he created us. But then we had a problem. The problem is that we sinned and we were separated from God. And Jesus had to come and he had to buy us back. He had to come and pay a penalty on the cross for our sin in order to reunite us back with the Heavenly Father. And let's look at that for a moment. Just look at those words and let me define them for you. Now that we kind of have the understanding of redemption being the word, redemption carrying the idea of buying back something that was lost or sold. Understanding that God created us, but we don't become a children of God until we come to know Christ. And there is when we are bought back. But the word redemption means this. Webster's definition says this. To free from captivity by payment of a ransom. That's Webster's definition. The Bible dictionary says this, deliverance by payment of a price. Then the word redemption carries this idea for us. Again, buying back something lost or sold, but it also has this idea, setting free from captivity or slavery. 
exchanging something in one's possession for something possessed by another, a ransoming. This whole idea then takes on a different concept, at least when I began to look at it. When I began to look at the words redeem and redemption and ransom and deliver, it takes on more of an idea of not just being, if you will, lost and found, but being bought for a price. And not just because of the fact that we were lost, but that we were slaves. We all became slaves. What's that concept all about? When you go back and you look at the words and where it all comes from, we understand in the Old Testament and New Testament, there were wars. And whenever there's a war, when two people and two nations are fighting, one loses and one wins. The one who is the one who is the conqueror of another nation, they didn't have POW camps. They didn't take the soldiers and put them in a camp. They became slaves. And they became slaves until they died. In other words, once the conquering nation had taken over, they took all their soldiers and they became slaves and they worked until they died. The only way that they were ever going to be not captives any longer, that they would be delivered and set free, is if their nation would rise up again and overcome that nation, and then therefore they would be set free, or somebody in their family or their nation would raise up enough money and they would pay a payment or a ransom to buy that slave back. The third would be that the one who was a slave owner would just set his, his, his uh, slaves free. And that wasn't about to happen. So you have these two pictures. Now when I look at that word ransom, and I kept studying it over and over this past week, it takes on the idea, yes, of someone being kidnapped. And once you're kidnapped, there's a ransom. And the only way that that person's going to be set free is if somebody pays the ransom, Right? But when you think of somebody being kidnapped, you don't think of them being a slave. So it's a little bit of a deeper understanding. When somebody is captured and they become in captivity, they become in bondage. It's the idea of being in slavery. So it's a little deeper than just being kidnapped. So we have this concept of slavery. So then I began to think more about that this week, and I discovered this. What happened to the people of Israel in the Old Testament? We all know that they were slaves. And they were owned, if you will, in Egypt by the Egyptians. They were conquered people. And then what happened? What happened is that God sent Moses, and Moses comes to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. Ten plagues come. Finally, Pharaoh says, okay, I've had enough. Let the slaves go. And he sets them free. In this situation, they are set free not because someone paid a ransom. They were absolutely, in other words, the God steps in, And he delivers the people of Israel. He puts it so hard on Pharaoh that he delivers them. Finally, Pharaoh says, okay, I've had enough. Let them go. And they're set free. And from that moment on, now the people of Israel are every year remembering what? The Passover. The Passover of a time that they were slaves, but they were set free and they were no longer captives. And God is the one who delivered them. Now, we go fast forward into the New Testament. And we find the same words found in the old and the new, but they take on a little bit of a, of a different meaning because of what we understand of our context. When you go to Jesus, and Jesus is being arrested, he has a mock trial, and he is crucified, what are the people of Israel celebrating? The Passover. And the remembering when what? When God had delivered them from being enslaved, being captive. 
And when they were looking at Jesus, they were looking at him as possibly the Messiah that has come to set them free from who? From Rome. And they were their slaves again. They are in bondage. They're captive. They have no rights. They have no way out. And they're looking for this person to deliver them. And they think that this Messiah is going to come like God came the first time and literally deliver them from Rome. He was going to come in and oppress them, deliver them, fight them, and deliver them as a people. I mean, fight Rome. But Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. He's arrested. He's crucified. And now we have a different word. Not deliver, but what? Ransom. That a group of people are redeemed who were slaves and they are ransomed. Someone pays a debt. They don't come in and force the deliverance by power, but come in a different way to release a group. Who are the people that, they're, that Jesus is dying for? Why is he dying on the cross? Why is he dying for what and for who? Here's the deal. He was delivering the people not from Rome, but from, a, a, from slavery of a different kingdom. The kingdom of darkness. He had come not to physically take the, the Romans on. He came to die spiritually in order to set us free from a battle that was going on in the heavenlies for your soul and for mine. And he had come to set us free from a captive Go all the way back to the very beginning when, when, when we fell, when man fell, Adam and Eve. When, the, when they fell, sin entered in. And what happened? They were sold, if you will, for this picture, into slavery. And who became their master? Satan. Satan became their king, their god, their master. And then sin became our, we became slaves to sin and to death. In that moment when Adam failed, when he sinned in Eve, in that moment, all of a sudden, we became captives of Satan, sin, and death. So that when every one of us who is born since Adam, we were born into captivity. We were born into slavery. We were born into sin. You don't have to look at your children. I don't. I mean, I remember when they were first born. I didn't have to teach them to be disobedient. They were just disobedient. Because the Bible says that we are sons and daughters of disobedience. Because we were born captives, enslaved. Satan, sin, and death. That's why Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, your father is the devil. And that's why Paul says, they're the children of darkness and the children of light. All of us were part of a different family. We were part of a family called the kingdom of darkness. That was part of our, our hood, if you will. That's where we lived. That's who we were. We were separate from God. So in order for us to be taken out of that captivity, we either had to somebody come in by force and take us back, but first there had to be a ransom. And that ransom had to be paid because God required it. See, we've sinned, each and every one of us in this room, we have fallen short of the glory of God, and I know we all know that. We understand that. But when we sinned, we broke not only Romans' laws, but we broke the laws of God. And when we broke the laws of God, there's always consequences to that. So when Jesus shows up, when he's dying on the cross, everyone, he's dying 
not just, if you will, just to pay a penalty, but also to set us free. He's here to set us free. Now, I want to read a passage for us because I want to look into this a little bit deeper so we have understanding. It says this in the scriptures. In Matthew 20, 28, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom ransom for many. I want you to look at that word, give. That word, give, it's unique. You know what it does? It tells us this. Jesus came to die. It says he came to give his life. Now, we all know that no one took his life, right? He gave it. He came, to, he came, his purpose was to seek and save that which is, which is lost. But he also came to die. Now think about this. Some of you have already seen the movie, The Son of God. And if you've seen the movie, there's a lot of imagery of Jesus dying. Is there not? So people, when you look at that, you think, okay, we serve someone who came to die. Hear me. The statement separates Jesus from all other successful world religion founders and puts him into a category all by himself. What do I mean by that? I thought about this and studied this all this past uh, couple of days. And here's the deal. I went back and I started thinking about all the founders of any great successful religion. Every one of them, when they died, they died of a ripe old age. And when they died, they didn't die because of their enemies. They just died. Death took them. Unlike Jesus, who gave his life, who gives his life, death finally took them and they died. But their enemies didn't kill them. They were successful because they were able to overcome their enemies and die of an old age. And many of them died around their disciples. Their disciples were there when they died. For example, Buddha died when he was 80 years old. His disciples were all around him when he died. Confucius, they say that he died right around about 70 years old, ripe old age. Abraham, father of the faith of, the Jew, of Judaism, he dies of a ripe old, not his enemies. They didn't kill him. He dies of an old age. And then you have Muhammad. Muhammad overcomes and unites Arabia. He overcomes his enemies. I'm not saying that those other founders weren't resisted, that they didn't have enemies, that people didn't try to oppress them, but they didn't die because their enemies defeated them. They died of a ripe old age. Jesus, however, he dies at 33. And when he dies, he dies because apparently, as you look at it in the natural, he dies because his enemies killed him. So I began to ask this question, began to study this this, this, the last couple of days. What other movement or religion can you find where its founder is destroyed by its enemies, his enemies, and succeeds and becomes a successful movement. You can't find it. It doesn't exist. But Jesus dies for us. He dies. Who would follow that? Why would you? Why did he, his movement, become this great movement that we're all part of called Christianity? Because Jesus Christ is uniquely different than any other founder of any other religion. That's why. People who say that all religions are the same, that's a lie. That is not true. Our Christ, who is the founder of Christianity, is uniquely different than any other founder of any other religion. I can give you a lot of reasons why, but this is one of them right here. He died. They didn't die because of their enemies. 
No one killed those people. He died, and what happened? They're fat. The followers of Jesus go out and they begin to preach the cross and the power of it. And we all know the story that we know he walks out of the grave and he lives and he transforms their lives and therefore that gave him the power. But those who were there that day and watched him die and they heard about this one who died on the cross, why would they believe? They're thinking they're crazy. But the movement begins and they watch their lives and they see how those disciples have been transformed and they be, it becomes this huge movement. Now, I stop here and I say this. If this whole idea of dying, I started th- thinking this. You know what the disciples understood? They, knew, they understood that Jesus didn't just die. They knew why he died. See, there's a difference between knowing that he died and knowing why he died. Stop. When I came out of this past couple weeks, I came back from Florida. I, I take care of my aunt. She's 97 years old. So I go down, I do her taxes, believe it or not. That's a scary, isn't it, Tom Kreider? So I'm down there doing taxes. doing. So I'm taking care of this lady. And uh, I, I love her. And I'm down there in Florida. So we go out to eat. And people have watched the Son of God movie. And I'm not kidding you. For every five people I heard, I heard two times someone say this. Why did Jesus have to die? That was, see, to them, they weren't Christians. They just go to the movie. Why does he have to die? Now, let me give you a picture of what, what is in their minds. Let's say that I'm going, you're walking with me. We're going down the Allegheny River together. Just walking alongside of it. And I'm telling you that I love you and I care for you as one of your pastors. And all of a sudden I say, you know what? I'm going to prove to you that I, I love you. And I just jump in the river and I drown. I die. You'd walk away and say, Pastor Glover lost his mind. <laughs> he, he, I don't know. He said he loved me and he dove in the water and he just... In other words, when they're watching him on the screen, he, he's just dying. They're going, well, why do you have to die? You know, as a martyr, you know, what, what's the point? But here's a different story. Let's say we're walking down the Allegheny River together. And I'm telling you that I love you and I really care for you. And all of a sudden, you slip and you fall into the water and you can't swim. So I dive into the water and I swim and I grab you and I throw you up on the bank And you save you, but meanwhile, the tide takes me and I die, I drown. Now, when you talk about why I died, you say, he died to save my life. You see the difference? If we just keep talking about Jesus dying, but they don't know why he dies, it doesn't make any sense. But once you understand that he died to pay a ransom that you and I could never have paid, we would have been locked in as slaves We would have died and Satan would have ruled over us forever and ever and ever. Sin, Satan, and death. So why did he go to the cross? He went to that cross to die on my behalf and yours. To save us. To save us from what? Sin. Sin is what separates us from the Father. We can't get to him. We've been born in sin. We've been born in slaves. There's no way we can get out of this. We're locked in. We can't swim. We've all cut the, the wire from the, from the master, if you will, and we're sailing down out on a, doing our own thing. We've done that. We've all sinned. We're doing our own thing, sailing away. We've all, you know, we've all gone astray. We've all sinned. How are we ever going to get back? Hear me. Jesus shows up, right? 
But when I talk to people about this, many times they'll say this to me. They'll say, okay, Jesus died. I got it. Okay, he died to save me. All right, Pastor Ed, I've sinned. Got it. I've done some things. But why can't Jesus, why does he have to die? Why can't God just forgive us? Seriously, why can't he just forgive? How many times have you heard it? Why can't God just forgive us? Why does he have to die? Well, when people ask me that question, I always, I always go back and I say this. And I, and I wrote it down so that I would do it well. When they ask this, I say, why doesn't our legal system just forgive everybody and say, it doesn't matter what you've done or what anybody's ever done to you, we're just going to say everybody's forgiven and everybody just go home. Let it go. Everybody goes home. Would that work? No. Because everybody would stand up and say, wait a minute. That's not right. That's not fair. That's not justice. So when people say to you, why can't God just, God loves us. He just forgives everybody. You need to use this as an argument. Here it is. You say back to them, now wait a minute. Yes, God is a loving God and he loves you perfectly. Perfect. But he's also perfectly just. In order for him to be true to himself and to his word, he needs to be just. See, God doesn't wink at our sin. God doesn't just let it go. He sees all that we do every time we break a law and there will be justice. We will stand before God and we give account for everything we've done. He's not like you and me. He doesn't just sweep it under the table. He's just as perfect as he is with love for you. He's perfect in his justice. He sees everything you say, everything you've done, in the secret, in darkness, in every way. And sooner or later, each and every one of us will stand before God and we will become accountable for what we've done and how well we've, we've kept the law or not kept the law. And either you will pay for the breaking of the law or somebody else has to step in on your behalf and pay the penalty. It just doesn't go away. Hear me. We're walking out here tonight, and let's say that somebody's out there in the parking lot. You walk out in your car, you hear glass breaking all over the place. And some guy's standing on the top of your car with a ball bat, and he's knocking out every window in your car, smashing your car, and you show up. You pick up the phone, and you call the police, and you say, hey, get over here. They get over there, and they arrest the guy. And the guy comes over to you, the guy who broke up your car. He says, man, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I didn't really mean it. And the police officer looks at you and says, you know, you just came out of church. You know, God loves everybody. You ought to just forgive them. Just let it go. Just forgive them and let them go. And all of a sudden, you're moved and you say, okay, I'm going to let them go. But the moment you let them go, who's going to pay for your car? See, when people say to you, hey, everybody just forgive. You know, God needs to forgive. No, no, wait a minute. There's no justice to that. Who's going to pay for the cost? There's a cost. For every wrong we do, there is a cost involved. Somebody gets hurt. Something happens. And where's the justice in that? Who's going to pay for that car? The kid? No, you are. In order for us to forgive, always remember this. When you forgive, yes, we're called to forgive. And we can forgive. But there's always a cost involved in that. Somebody's got to absorb the sin. Somebody's got to take it on the chin. Somebody's got to absorb it. Right? Somebody's got to pay for it. So you come back to our story now. Jesus is here. He goes to the cross. 
They all think that he should be liberating them from Rome. But he goes to the cross and he pays a debt on that cross that you and I could have never paid because we owe so much sin. People will say to me, well, Pastor Ed, I'm not that bad of a person. I, okay, you say I've sinned, but I'm just not that bad. I just don't think I'm that bad. And I'll say, okay, let's say you haven't murdered anybody, you haven't robbed any banks, I got it. But let's say that you only sin one time a day. You live to your 70 years old, 365 days a year. 70 times 365 is 25,550 violations of the law. And I say, okay, so you're, you're, if you only sin one time a day, you're a lot better than I am, but let's say that's you. But still 25,550 violations of the law. You go, okay. Now let's take those, those laws and let's take them out of heaven and let's put them on the earth. Hear me. Put them on the earth and you're driving down, you know, you're, you're 70 years old, you're driving down the highway, you get pulled over and you're speeding. And the person gives you a ticket, the police officer, and you're standing before the judge and he pulls out your rap sheet. And he finds out you've got 25,550 violations. And he just says, you know, you're a pretty good guy. You know, we're just going to forget it. It doesn't really matter. Just, come on, let it go. Let him go. That would never happen. Not only here in our own courts that are screwed up as can be in a lot of ways, it's definitely not going to happen in heaven. So we've got this huge problem. We've got this huge debt. There's no way out. We're slaves. We're no, and then Jesus shows up. And when he shows up, he goes to a cross and he dies on that cross. And he dies. When he dies, he pays a penalty that you and I can't pay. And it's called a ransom. He's laying down not money. He's laying down his life. Look at the verse. It says this. It says that he came to give his life, not money, his life as a ransom for many. I end with this. I've told you this story many, many times, but I'm going to tell it again because it fits so perfectly right here. I want to stop for a moment. I just got a couple of minutes before we, we end here, but I, 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 want to, I want to slow it down a little bit and say to all of us, you know, you're here tonight and you might be living in, in, in some, un, like some kind of uh, bondage of some sort. Might be pornography, might be gambling, might be lying, it might be eating, it might be worry. It could be a, a hundred different things, but you know what it is if you have it, and it holds you captive. It's got a hold of you. And you might be sitting there saying, Well, Pastor Ed, you know, is God. Does God forgive me, though? Am I, am I saved? Yeah, yeah, you're saved. I, if you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior and your Lord, and you're counting on him, then he's paid your penalty in full. When he hung on the cross, cross, he said it what? It is finished. That's a banking term that means he paid your debt in full. I'll never forget going to, a, to a, my locker, if you will. It was a post office in college, seminary. And I got this bill. And they said if I didn't pay it in two weeks, then they were going to expel me. And I couldn't pay it. So I walked up to the cashier and I turned in this slip of paper and I said, I can't pay this. She takes the paper and she looks at it and she goes, wait a minute, Ed. And she goes into a file and she pulls out another piece of paper. She says, you should have never received this. This payment, right, this right here, somebody has paid your debt in full. And red letters right there, rubber stamp, paid in full on that piece of paper. 
she takes this one paper and she crumples it up and she throws it away. And she goes, you can go. It's all paid in full. And I just walked out of the door. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you. And that redemption that he has done, that ransom that he paid for you was good enough and f- to satisfy God's law and set us free. When he dies and he's raised again from the dead, when he's raised again from the dead, what does he do? One of the things in, in between the time he dies until he shows up and walk in, in, the, in the disciples see him, he's down where? He takes the keys and he's down unlocking something. Do you know what that is? Setting the captives free. He goes down and he sets them free. He unlocks the doors. And they're all set free. Those who have put their faith in Christ are set free. You know, when when Jesus Christ finally returns, our redemption will be complete. And we'll have new bodies. And we'll be forgiven. And Satan will not be able to tempt us any longer. Sin will have no rule or reign over us. And we will overcome death. But either he comes first or we go to see him. But when we see him, our redemption will finally be completed. But between now and then, this is what I want you to remember. Jesus Christ has paid your debt in full. And you might struggle with some things in your life, but you need to keep going to Jesus every day because he not only died, but he was raised again from the dead. And the Spirit of God dwells within you. And you need to keep walking in the Spirit, being in the Word, keeping short accounts with him, And sooner or later, he will help you to break through so that you no longer have to be under the bondage of whatever that sin is that's in your life. That's the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Because he who began a work in you will complete it until that day. And all those things are great truths. But let me end with this. I've told you this story. Here's a little girl. This woman is driving in Georgia. She's speeding. She's pulled over by an officer. The officer gives her a ticket. Two weeks later, she's standing before the judge. The judge looks at her and says, Madam, you've broken the law. You've been caught speeding. And because you broke the law, you either, either have to pay $100 because that's what the law requires. If you don't have $100, you've got to spend the weekend in jail. And the woman looked at the judge and said this, Your Honor, I don't have the money. I can't pay my debt. I've got kids at my home. And if, I, if you put me in prison, I won't, there'd be no one to watch my children. Is there anything that you can do for me? The judge looked at her and said, the law is the law. The law says if you break this law, you either owe $100 or you spend a weekend in jail. Tears well up in this woman's eyes. And she says, Your Honor, I can't pay it. I've got little kids at home. Can you do anything for me? Can you... Can you show mercy to me? And right then the judge just pushed himself away from his desk. He walked over and unzipped his robes and he hung them up. And he took this very simple coat, put it on. He walked down and stood alongside this woman, took out his wallet and took out a $100, crisp $100 bill, laid it there on the, on the bench. Then he walked back up and took out his robes and he zipped them back up and he went back over to his desk and he pulled up and he looked at the woman and he said, Madam, you've broken the law. And the law requires that you pay $100. If you can't pay the $100, you've got to spend a weekend in jail. But then he said, oh, I see that there's $100 here. And the law is satisfied. You have paid what the law has required. And because you've paid it, you can go free.
And it's a true story. The woman actually walked out of the courtroom. This is what we need to remember. We were captives, everybody. There was no way that we were going to get out of the situation we were in. We were doomed. But God so loved us that he sent his son. And Jesus unzipped those robes for a while. And he hung them up. And he put on that simple coat, the coat of humanity. And he came down and he dwelt among us. And he loved us up close and personal. And then he went to the cross. And when he went to that cross, he was buying a ransom. He was paying a ransom for you and me so that we could be set free from the slavery that we're so in bondage of sin, Satan, and death. And then when he died on that cross, he paid it in full. And then he was raised again from the dead. And because he came out of that grave, he overcame Satan, sin, and death. And he walks out of the grave. And anyone who calls upon his name, he now has the authority and the power to forgive you of your sin and to give to you eternal life. He has the power to give to you his life. For he is the redeemer. And he comes and he dwells within each and every one of his people. And he ushers you not only into the kingdom of God, but in the family of God. And you become his and he becomes yours forever and ever and ever. Because Jesus Christ is the redeemer and he has redeemed us. And that's what it means when we say redemption. He pays a penalty that we could not pay. He pays a ransom ransom for those of us who were caught in captivity in order to set us free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you for who you are. And we just ask in the name of Jesus that tonight that you would help all of us to, to, to know and understand more deeply what you have done for us, Lord Jesus. So not only that we, we can live our lives differently, but so that we'll have the boldness to share Christ with those who are so lost. There are people all around us that need a Savior. There's so many people that are in bondage today. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us, that you would fill us with your spirit each day and give us the boldness and the courage to share Christ wherever we might go. For, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.